All right, let's go ahead and get started on uh, the second talk is Science and Faith, the Fossil Ape Men, or as it was in your handout, Apes, Ape Men, and Man. <clears throat> what I've handed you, had handed out to you, and I think we need a few more here, sweet. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Huh? <laughs> what we're going to talk about here is not so much the origin of man, because we know how man was or originated. How how was man? What was man's origin? He was created by God on the sixth day. I mean, that was no trick question. <clears throat> um, so then, if, if we accept that as true, then how do we understand these things we see in front of us? So as we start our talk, let's start with prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you again that we can come and study these things that you've given us gifts and wisdom to be able to understand some of the traps that Satan sets for us. Open our minds now as we discuss this tender topic. Help us to hear your Holy Spirit, have your holy angels here accompanying us. We want to commit it to you and your care, as well as the people that are here. Watch over us, Lord, for we are your bride in waiting. We commit it all to you, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> there will be some time after the last lecture if anybody wants to stay around and look at these more closely, you're welcome to do so. Basically, I better introduce, before we get too far, what the characters are that you see up here. Um, this is uh, Sahelanthropus chadensis, supposedly the oldest hominid, um, radiometrically dated at between six and seven million years. This is, um, these are the two species of chimpanzee, the bonobo and the chimp. This is um, the species that had the famous Lucy in it, you know, uh, Australopithecus afarensis. This is Australopithecus africanus. So we got a lot of us's here. Um, this is Homo habilis. Uh, this is Kenyanthropus platyops. This one we call Dracula. <laughs> um, um, but this is a controversial specimen from the country of Georgia. Um, it's kind of halfway in between the Homo erectines and the Australopithecines. Um, this is the famous 1470 skull. Right now, it's probably called Kenyanthropus rudolfensis. These are all Homo erectus. 
Um, this is Solo Man. Um, I think myself that it it's, lies outside what Homo erectus should be. Um, and I prefer the name that was given to it originally, Homo soloensis. Um, this is Atacuerpa Man, Rhodesia Man, Neanderthal, the famous Cro-Magnon, and um, an, uh, a skull I've snatched from our human anatomy and physiology course. <laughs> um, and then there's this thing. Um, this skull is in between Neanderthals and us, kind of, in many ways. Um, this is from Mount Carmel in Israel. Uh, and it's called the SKUL skull number five. <laughs> So if I say skull skull, um, anyway, that's this one and us. So these are the other are, are the characters um, that we're going to be examining as we go through here. Oh yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned um, that one of the skulls was radiometrically dated to like five five million years or something. Yeah. How do I deal with radiometric dating? That is a whole nother program. <laughs> um, some radiometric methods, as a creationist, I do not understand. Um, and some I do. Um, and if we had time for another hour's talk, I would do one on radiometric dating. <laughs> um, I believe that, that this specimen was dated by potassium-argon dating. <laughs> um, the one that's probably one of the, the most troubling dating methods. Radiocarbon dating is, is one that's more easily understood from a creationist point of view. But again, it would take a long time to explain why. <laughs> But if you come up afterwards, we could do something with it or something if you wanted to stay. Okay, so I want to look at the relationship between science and faith because evolutionary scientists have said that creationists cannot do science. Um, by definition, if you believe in a god or whatever, you cannot do science. So I want to look at the role of faith in science as it relates to these um, ape men. And one more thing that we don't often appreciate is I want to look at the gift to the church of the writings of Ellen White. <clears throat> um, and so I'll probably speed through some parts of this that are less important and more technical. So we have some time for discussion um, about how, we, how I would interpret these, these fossils. But first, some background. These are all classified <clears throat> in the same superfamily that, that contains three families within it. Um, the gibbons, um, the hylobatidae, that what used to be the pongidae, the chimpanzee species, um, gorilla and orangutan, the great apes, 
now because the chimpanzee is thought to be our closest ancestor. We can't have humans and apes in a different family, but we used to. And then we had the family hominidae. <laughs> they still have no idea. So anyway, the family Hylobatidae are, are brake eaters. That means that they move by swinging arm movements under the tree limbs. You're going to see why I'm, we're talking about this at the end when we look at how crea other creationists have um, discussed what um, these hominids mean. The pongids, um, I believe that they should still be a pongidy separate from the hominidy. They're knuckle walkers. <clears throat> There's no other group of animals that walks on the back side of their hand or feet. <laughs> um, so when they're on the ground, they make a knuckle. With the chimpanzee species and the gorilla, it's the second bone, um, the second phalanx um, of the hand. And so they're walking like this. You've probably all seen it. The orangutan is a little different. It makes a fist. And so it walks on the first phalanx. But no other groups, uh, group of animals that I know of walks on the backside of their hands or feet. So I think that that's a character that would unite the pongids to the exclusion of the humans. <laughs> Hominidae are habitual bipeds most of the time. The forelimbs don't normally make contact with the ground unless there's dinosaur bones around. That, 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 that's what these are, are dinosaur bones. And that's Dr. Chadwick from Southwestern back when he looked young. Today there are no modern morphologic intermediates between the families. However, if we look at um, the fossil record, there are bipedal fossils that are intermediate, that are in between the pongids and anatomically modern man. I'm going to use this term throughout the thing, anatomically modern man, because there's debate about what it is to be human. So which ones of these are human and which ones are not? The ones that are undoubtedly human are us, and that's so we're just going to call that anatomically modern man, and then we'll worry later about whether anything else should be called human or not. <clears throat> yes? Oh, before they learn to walk? Yeah, like there are still, I, I watched a documentary not so long ago about this family, and the majority of them were walked on all fours. It, it's, a, it's the way kids learn. They learn by watching their parents. Now, if a child is kept in a closet or something, and some less than nice people, <laughs> um, have done that, 
when the child comes out, if it's never learned to walk between a certain age, it will, it will never learn to walk. Um, but we're not, we don't do well on all fours because our um, legs are so much longer than our arms. In order to walk on all four, you need them to be more equal. So, so and anymore. These bipedal fossils fall into six main groups. The Australopithecines, uh, um, the center one, that's the one that Lu the famous Lucy is a member of. There's what you call early Homo, Homo habilis. Um, that's these guys. I would not call them Homo. Homo is the same genus as us. Um, and there are probably some other evolutionists that would also believe that. Um, then you have the Erectines. It's almost universally agreed that they're in our genus. And again, I wouldn't put them in our genus. Um, then there are what used to be called um, the archaic Homo sapiens. Um, that's these here uh, that are now uh, Homo heidelbergensis or, or Attaquerpensis. And finally, there's the Neanderthals and us, anatomically modern man. Most everybody here has heard of Neanderthal, if, if nothing else. So now the next question is, and make sure that by 20 till you let me know. Um, how do we know Lucy was a biped? How do we know whether you walk on two legs or not? If you look at the structure of the pelvis, the key um, to understanding how they walked is looking at the pelvis. I don't need Bo Gorilla's jaw right now. So this is the hip bone of a chimpanzee and the thigh bone or femur. This little hole here, the acetabulum, is where this ball fits in and moves like that. That's how you get your motion. Now when they're on the ground, they walk bent over like you see in the picture. And when they walk that way, notice how the, the thin, the pelvis looks thin. It's because this part is parallel to the ground. Actually, I got it upside down. Whoops, there we go. Uh, um, yeah, so this part's facing the ground. <coughs> um, but you can still see that it's blade-like. So the pelvis is long and slender. Chimpanzee, probably easier to see on the gorilla. This is a gorilla pelvis compared to a chimpanzee pelvis. They're pretty much shaped the same. The only real difference is in size. So some things will be easier for you to see out there in the audience if I use a gorilla. Um, you have the same thing. I'll make sure I've got this right. This is forward. So this is a 
this is a left pelvis. Okay, so he's walking bent over like so, and his legs have motion to move back and forth. It allows him to walk. Now you've probably all seen pictures of chimpanzees walking on two legs. So chimpanzees can stand up and walk on two legs. The problem is <clears throat> that if you take a chimpanzee or a gorilla Sure, I've got the front facing the front. So now, when the, the chimpanzee is walking bent over on his knuckles and his pelvis is facing like so, he has room for his legs to move all the way back and take steps. When he stands up, that motion has been absorbed and he has no more room for movement because the leg hits the back of the pelvis. Can you see that? He can only move his leg back that far. So by standing up, he takes up the room to be able to, to move his legs backward. If we look at the human pelvis, If we look at the human pelvis, notice that we're much shorter, even though we are much smaller than a, I mean, the chimpanzee is much smaller than us. Notice how the length of his um, pelvis is nearly the, the same as ours. Um, you look at the gorilla and look how much bigger the gorilla pelvis is than our pelvis. They're shaped differently. Our pelvis is not long and narrow. And, that the, and the angle that the femur fits in to the acetabulum is now at an, at an angle. So when he stands up, it's actually sitting here at an angle to you. So we can look at this like this. The pelvis, the, the, the femur goes in here. You can see how the pelvis is at an oblique angle to the, to the femur. Actually, this is a left. <laughs> um, so it would go like this. So notice now that when we stand up, there's no bony um, protuberance to stop our legs from going back and forth. So, when we walk, if I can do this without killing somebody or myself, when we walk, the leg can go all the way back. See? So you can, you can have a stride. When a chimpanzee stands up, it can't put its leg back any further. It hits the bone, the, the leg can only go forward. So even though he can walk, it's an awkward walk because he can only go forward. So he, he was not designed to walk upright even though he can. We are not designed to walk on four limbs 
even though we can. Now let's look at some fossils. This is the pelvis of Lucy. And this is a cast of the pelvis of the, of the actual Lucy specimen. And this is the femur uh, that goes with it. I hope this is right. So this is forward. So this is a right. I want you to notice that what is Lucy's pelvis most similar in shape to? Us or a chimpanzee? Yeah, it has a very human shaped pelvis. So when, when this, the owner of this pelvis was standing, it could stand up fully upright and walk and, and the leg doesn't hit any protuberances. So this animal could walk fully upright on two legs. Part of the problem is that this pelvis that's very human-like goes with this skull, which is very chimp-like. Um, and this is the pelvis uh, uh, of, um, of this one. Again, it's a very human-shaped pelvis, but a very chimpanzee-shaped <coughs> skull. So, to me, the evidence is fairly um, convincing that all of these fossils from the chimp up were walked on two legs most of the time. Now, Chad Ensis here, we didn't, there's no pelvis known for it. And so you don't know for sure whether it was bipedal or not. And so there's a lot of arm waving um, about this guy. Yeah, they're found together. Uh, yeah. And contrary to what some famous creationists uh, have said, <coughs> the leg wasn't found 50 yards from the hip, etc. That that was a made up by the creationist. Makes a good story. You know, like to meet the train that hit that puppy, you know, kind of thing. But it's not real. <coughs> um, I'm sorry. What's that? It, it's hard to get DNA out of fossils. It, it's come apart. What can you get from that to tell? I mean, can't you have like a dog bone or some other species bones right on top of each other? It could be. But the only other, the only bones out of that layer have been 
these hip bones and those skulls. There's more than one. Because it was buried with it in the same spot in the same layer. Okay. Now, you're right, there could be something else on top of it. But there's also consistency. And this is from Ethiopia. Okay. This is from South Africa. <laughs> um, so there's some distance difference between those. And you see the same kind of relationship in South Africa as Ethiopia. So that would tend to support that they do, in fact, belong to the same species. Good question, though. Those are the way we need to think. Yes, sir. Created by Satan. <clears throat> yes. I'll give you my opinion. It's not a biblical opinion. Um, it's based on my understanding of the great controversy. If you look at story of redemption, the, cha the chapters that talk about uh, Satan and Christ before Satan's rebellion, it's clear from Ellen White's statement there that the reason that Satan rebelled in the first place was that he was not invited to be part uh, of the creation of the earth with Christ and God. So therefore, I don't think that Satan has the ability to create life. Well, they were at one time. And as for the serpent, uh, Mrs. White clearly talks about that in terms of magicians, uh, that it was a sleight of hand um, and not the creation of a snake uh, that happened in, in Egypt. Um, now, how do we know that these were once alive? Um, if we look and we haven't gotten to this one yet, but here's the pelvis that goes with this skull, the Naria Katomi skeleton. Uh, this one, I believe, is from Kenya. <coughs> um, this was a juvenile. He wasn't full grown, he was about six feet, would have been about six feet tall. And how do we know that is because his epiphyseal plates haven't fused yet. Um, on an adult, if we look at an adult human or adult whatever, <clears throat> you'll see that, it, that, that it's solid across there. And it's usually in your teens when the, when the fusion completes across these bones. So he's not only shaped the same <coughs> as a modern human, he has indication of growth 
um, patterns identical to human growth patterns. <laughs> um, so I think that that's good evidence that they were once alive. <laughs> um, what I want you to see is the evidence for these all walking on two legs. The evidence is real. These specimens are real. And they represent real individuals of something. Whether you want to call them humans or apes, or we'll come back to that. Um, but we can't <clears throat> honestly pretend that they don't exist. And I think that if there's any group that ought to be honest with the data, it's a Christian. If we say something is so, it ought to be so. <clears throat> um, so that's why we're even having this talk at all, is I want you to see what the evidence really is. <clears throat> and then I am a creationist who believes in a literal Bible. So I've had to deal with, as a scientist, how do I understand these fossils? And I want to communicate some idea of this to you so that you won't be swept away by delusion. If you saw this series up front without any explanation, it's clear the easiest explanation is that evolution is true. <laughs> um, it certainly looks like there's a, uh, an evolutionary series there from the chimpanzee to anatomically modern man. I don't believe that evolution could produce man from a chimpanzee. I believe that man was created after the image of God. So then how do I understand those specimens um, without denying their existence, without pretending they aren't real? Anyway, here is a chimpanzee. Here is Australopithecus. This one happens to be Africanus. Um, the um, Australopithecine, I should have brought in both halves in the sacrum. The Australopithecine is halfway between a chimpanzee and a human. Um, it's got a lot of human characteristics, but it still has some chimpanzee characteristics. The angle here is not fully around like it is in a human. Um, so this uh, guy would have still been a little bit of a knuckle walker. <laughs> um, then the Homo erectine <laughs> um, is more like uh, us fully modern man. It's like halfway in between an Australopithecine and us. So you have this guy that's between a, a chimp and us, and this guy that's between this Australopithecine and us. Um, and you'll notice that he, even though he stood, he would have stood about six foot tall, how do we know that? Looked at the length of this femur compared to a modern fe human femur. <laughs> um, not much difference in size. Uh, this would have been a tall individual, monkey, human, whatever you want to call it. Uh, um, but then when you compare 
even though the length of the human is about the same. Look at the difference in size of the pelvis. Um, so it's still not a fully modern pelvis, although it sure has a lot of fully modern human pelvis characters. Okay, I'm going to go through quickly some of this because I want to make sure that we have time to understand how I, as a creationist, understand this series. So we have the, these skulls um, like you see before you. Basically, you can see from this that there's an increase in cranial volume um, between a chimpanzee and a human. Um, all of these fossils up till man, modern man. So if you look at the face of all of these guys, this guy here is, is anatomically modern man. It's Cro-Magnon. Notice how from here on down, the face structure looks very much like the chimpanzee. So if, you, if we were to take the chimpanzee and put it down here with a Neanderthal, you would see that the face is, is constructed very much the same way. And it's very different than an anatomically modern man skull. Um, and so we'll look at the Cro-Magnon, which is anatomically modern man. So these guys from here on down all have a, a face shape that is very similar to um, an ape. Another thing, if we take our chimpanzee skull back again and you look at it, where is the widest part of the skull of the chimpanzee? Down at the base. You all see that? <laughs> um, where is the widest part of Homo erectus skull? At the base. <laughs> um, where is the widest part of a Neanderthal skull? Down here at the base. <laughs> okay. So all of uh, these fossil hominids have the widest part of the skull at the base of the skull. If we look at a human, anatomically modern man, if you will, where is the widest part of anatomically modern man skull? Up, up here. Here is Cro-Magnon. Where is the widest part of his skull? Up here. Okay. So anatomically modern man has what's called a parietal bulge, where the widest part of the skull is up high. Whereas all of these other hominids, including the chimpanzee, have the widest part of the skull at the base. Take your hands. Everybody take their hands out. Put them up against their jaw. 
and point to where the widest part of your skull is. Okay, good, you're all human. <laughs> what I want you to see is that this is not a racial character. Okay, um, and this is gonna become important later as we discuss Ellen White writings. This is a species character. Anatomically modern man, all of us here, have the widest part of our skull somewhere up near the top. All of these hominids have the ape-like pattern of the widest part of the skull being at the base. That's, that's an ape character. This, this is important here as we come to quickly have our discussion. I'm gonna blitz through um, the rest of this stuff. Oh, here's a transitional form. If we look at the foramen magnum, <laughs> um, that's the big hole at the base of the skull. <laughs> the chimpanzee is walking on all fours, has to be able to pull its head up, so the opening has to be back towards the back of the skull in order for him to lift his head up when he's bent over. We have the head sitting on top of the shoulders where the weight of the head is carried by the body. So the opening for the foramen magnum in us is at the base, uh, is at the middle, um, situated so that the middle of the weight of the head is across the top of the shoulders. This um, is Olduvai hominid 9, Homo erectus. I, I don't have that, a cast of that, unfortunately, anymore. I never did have it. This picture came from University of Oregon. And this is um, this one right here. Um, what I want you to see is that there is a transition in placement of this um, foramen magnum from a chimpanzee up through modern man. Um, palate, we're not even gonna worry about it. This isn't another important thing. The chimp jaw, um, if we look at, at a chimpanzee jaw, you'll see that there's no chin. Your chin is called a mental eminence. It slopes backwards below the tooth row, and then there is a shelf of bone behind the teeth. Um, you can come up and look at it, but that's this picture right here. This is called a simian shelf, and on us it's called a mental eminence. So the man uh, mandible, the lower jaw of a chimpanzee versus a human, Notice that, that we all have a chin, a mental eminence. <clears throat> the chimpanzee doesn't have that. The chimpanzee has a shelf of bone behind the incisors. We don't. See how it goes directly back um, underneath there? Now, I want you all to run your hand across your chin and tell me, does it slope back or does it point forward? Anybody's that doesn't point forward. Okay, good. So we still have everybody human here. We all have a mental eminence 
chimpanzees don't have a mental eminence. Now I want you to take your tongue and go down from your teeth straight down and it goes straight down except the gum, the tissue of the gum, and then it actually goes a little forward, at least mine does. <laughs> um, no simian shelf. Again, I want you to see that these are species characters and not racial characters. You all have a mental eminence. You all lack a simian shelf. And I think we're going to quit there. Um, if we have time, we'll come back to evidence why these didn't evolve. You can test and show that they didn't evolve. Um, but I'm going to come back to that if I have time. Um, yes, sir. Yes. As I was um, recalling, and I went to, to double check, but in the book of Genesis it says that there were giants. Uh -huh. So, I, as, as, a, as a Christian scientist, how are you able to kind of come to terms with that? Because I noticed all of the skulls seem to be going from smallest to largest, all like they start. We have no zero skeletons from pre flood man that I know of. There are no 12 foot human skulls and skeletons. To me, that's a problem for us because we have everything else. We have camels, elephants, horses, everything else is fossils, hominids. What, where are the pre-flood humans? We haven't got any yet. Um, when I was first at PUC many, many years ago, we did, uh, I was working with uh, Ervil Clark, and we were trying to track down some of these stories. Because Mrs. White is clear that these, some bones of giant men have been found. Where are they? So we found some reports in the literature of giant men. You go to find where they went, it's like grabbing smoke. Some were found during the gold rush and they went to the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco and then were all destroyed by the earthquake in 1906. Uh, um, it, it's like that, you know, every time you hear a report you try and track it down and it's gone. And then recently there's been scams on the internet. There was one that showed the claim of these giant humans from Eastern <coughs> Europe. Um, and sh showed the pictures of them and stuff. So fine, go and try and say, okay, let me see some of these specimens. Turns out it's a hoax. <laughs> um, so as far as I know, there are no giant humans. All right. Um, we're not even gonna have time to talk about most creationists, what they do with it. Um, I wanna deal with the diseased or degenerate humans. Are these diseased or degenerate humans? I know of no disease of the bones that I will call, that gives you what I call ape characters. There's no ape character disease. There are diseases of the bones, like rickets, scoliosis, etc., that we can see and we can tell when we know what disease that is. I know of no ape character disease. 
I know of no disease that'll take away your chin and put it behind your teeth instead. Um, I know of no disease that makes the whitest part of your skull down at the base. Um, so the bottom line is I want you to say, to, to, for you to disregard what somebody may tell you is that these are diseased or degenerate humans. I'm sorry, there's no ape character disease. Um, now, if you find one, I'll be happy to see that. Um, but for now, there's no ape character disease. These didn't happen um, by being diseased or degenerate humans. Furthermore, how do you explain how all of these guys, the face looks like a chimp face uh, um, rather than like a human face, even though this guy actually has a cranial volume more than us. Okay, this Neanderthal actually has a cranial volume exceeding this one. Uh, now, and if you look at averages, um, it, it doesn't work out easy because there are pygmy humans and there are no pygmy Neanderthals. So if you, take, if you see a human average being lower than a Neanderthal, it doesn't mean anything. All right, so now how uh, do I, as a creationist, understand this? I want you to take out the paper that I gave you. And we're going to spend the rest of the time discussing that. Anybody need one? First of all, I want you to look at, at the setting, crime before the flood. Um, and then look at the last paragraph before the next chapter, the flood. I, wanted, I gave you this so you can read it in context. This is out of Spiritual Gifts. But if there's one sin above another which caused for the destruction of the race by the flood, it was the base crime of amalgamation of man and beast which defaced the image of God and caused confusion everywhere. Oh, um, right, okay, the next page you see the, you see the chapter, then the next paragraph above that. So it's the last paragraph of chapter six. Yeah. Okay. The base crime of amalgamation of man and beast. Now, what in the world does that mean? Adventists have argued that forever and ever. Amen. Any dentists in here? Dentist? No. Any of you have cavities that have been filled? What do they fill them with? Amalgam. Right. So, what is amalgam? Anybody know? It's a mixture of uh, sil uh, silver and mercury. Um, yeah, mercury. But anyway, we won't go there either. 
amalgam in Mrs. White's day was the blending of two different things. If you went to Ellen White and you asked her about genetic engineering, what would your response be? What do you think her response would be? Huh? <laughs> um, in 1864, when this was written, what did they know about the cell, interbreeding, genetics, DNA? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's some, one sin above another that caused for the destruction of the race by the flood. If you look before that, you'll see that there were lots of nasty crimes. You know, it, it was like they were practicing evolution. Um, if you, uh, for survival of the fittest. Um, if I'm more fit than you, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. You aren't. Um, I get to take whatever is yours. Um, good luck. Um, so we talk. She talks about polygamy, theft, all these other bad things. But if there's one sin above another which caused it for the destruction, it was this crime of amalgamation. Now there are Adventists, one some of them even here, um, who believe that she's talking. That, that man and, and humans couldn't mix genetically. Therefore, it, she's talking about the marriage of the sons of God with the daughters of man. Now think about that. If that's true, what is she saying? She just said about all of the bad things that were before the flood, and she says, if there's one worse than another, it's the destruction that caused the destruction. It was this base crime of amalgamation. If it's the if it's the sons of daughter, sons of God and daughters of man, what you're having her say is that it's a worse crime to marry a Catholic than it is to kill one. Why use that word though? Where's what word? Why use the word amalgamation if that's what it means? Why not use a different term? Yeah, I don't think that she means that. She means a blending, a genetic engineering, if you will, um, between man and animal. She doesn't specify what. I want you to know that this was, um, that this statement in 1864 comes before any of these were known except for a single Neanderthal that was found in 1859. So in 1864, none of this was known. Nobody can say that she wrote that to explain the data. This is a gift to the church for our day, to be able to understand why there's a series here. They were genetically engineered. <laughs> um, I make a joke. I should put over this. <laughs> I make a joke that it can't happen naturally um, or we'd see it in San Francisco today. Uh, um, <laughs> these, these have to have been done in vitro instead of in vivo. In other words, lab created or, uh, and not happen naturally. Now what do you think um, this means? As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be at the time of the end. These are all fossils. 
show me a living australopithecine or a living homo erectine. We don't have them today. But she also says, after the flood, where does she say that? Now this is spirit of prophecy, but it, uh, it, it, it's in here too. I just don't know exactly where. I don't want to waste time looking for it. Every species of animal which God had created were preserved in the ark. The confused species which he did not create, which were the result of amalgamation, were destroyed by the flood. Since the flood, there has been amalgamation of man and beast, as may be seen in almost endless varieties of species of animals and in certain races of men. Whoa, that's scary. On the page before chapter 8. Sure, there it is. Every species of animal which God had created were preserved in the ark. The confused species which God did not create, which were the result of amalgamation, were destroyed by the flood. Since the flood, there has been an amalgamation of man and beast, as may be seen in almost endless varieties of species of animals and in certain races of men. Now you see why I wanted you to check yourselves out and see if you were human or not. Uh, um, what was happening in 1864? Civil War. What was the Civil War about? Slavery, right. So after this came out in 1864, a bunch of good Adventists says, hey, this says we can keep um, slaves after all because they're not really human. So they applied it to the blacks as being the race of men that were the result of the amalgamation. Because of the controversy it caused, it was reprinted again in 1870 in Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1. After that, it's not in Prophets and Kings. Why not? Because it wasn't true? No, because it was causing a controversy within the church, and she didn't want the controversy. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to point out, especially my black brothers and sisters. Where's the widest part of your skull? Do you all have a mental eminence? Okay, so clearly you all are human with the rest of us. The other thing I want to point out, does anybody know where Neanderthals came from, where the fossils of Neanderthals are? Europe. That's right. Neanderthals all European, in African at all. <laughs> um, some of these are Indonesian. <laughs> um, so it's clearly we can't specify a race. Furthermore, it says in certain races of men, which was plural. 
Now, I had a drill sergeant that I swear is, it was a Neanderthal. <laughs> um, I mean, the guy had what looked like brow ridges sticking out. Um, and, and I'm not sure his knuckles didn't drag. Um, but he was from Italy. <laughs> so, you know, what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that the reason I don't think that that's true uh -huh. is if it was true, we would see it today. Um, if you look in the Bible, God gives specific commands against having sex with animals. Do you think God would have brought it up if nobody was thinking about it? No. God brought it up because people were doing it. And in my short life, walking down the streets near the shore in San Francisco, I've seen ads on the wall there, come in here and watch us have sex with animals. So that's why I make the joke, not even that much of a joke, I've actually seen it. <laughs> um, where they, where people are having sex with animals. So I believe that if it could happen naturally, we would have seen them today, we would have seen them in the past. The fact that we only, <clears throat> only see these as fossils tells me that it couldn't happen naturally and that we are only now coming to the technology that they had before the flood. You don't live a thousand years and not learn something. <clears throat> not if you're, even if you're not any smarter than we are. Einstein's a hundred. Isaac Newton, three to four hundred. Kepler, Copernicus, they're just now getting going at five hundred. What would we know if these guys all worked together for a couple hundred years? You know, I think that the drawings that we get from Uncle Arthur, bless his heart, um, really distort things. You know, he paints Adam and Eve like they're Scandinavians, you know. Um, who knows what they were? Mrs. White says they had a, ru a ruddy color, whatever that is. <laughs> um, and you look around you at the diversity here today, um, it's hard to know what God started with. Um, but what I want to end up with is, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be at the time of the end, may have had a lot more meaning than we ever understood. You first. <clears throat> if, if these uh, amalgamations were destroyed before the flood, then how someone might say that there's evidence today of it, so they have the technology. After the flood. I, th I think it perished with, with the Tower of Babel. I, I believe that the son, one of the, at least one of the sons of Noah brought it through the flood, probably Ham, but we don't know that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, since since he was the the least spiritual of them all, um, I don't know that, but I believe that it that 
it happened before the flood, but it, the technology died it at the Tower of Babel. Yeah, and since we haven't found the fossils of any pre-flood humans, who knows where they lived? <clears throat> How, big they How big they were. Exactly. We, we know nothing except for Mrs. White's statement that they were about twice as tall as we are. <clears throat> and, Adam, and Eve came just a little above Adam's shoulder. That's all we know about it. What's that? There were giants. Sure. And... Uh, one of the kings, I can't remember, it was it, Gog or Magog, I can't remember which one. His coffin in cubits was about 12 feet. <laughs> um, so I think that there's evidence for man, 12 foot man after the flood. But we haven't found any of them. <laughs> we haven't found the tomb of Gog or Magog or whatever. So, we, you know, there's no evidence for it. So this comes back to the faith issue. The evolutionist has to have faith that um, these evolved because all of the all of the proposed hypotheses of descent are falsified by some characters being out of sequence. We didn't go through that. Uh, um, but there is no hypothesis of descent in, in this anywhere that isn't falsified by characters, some characters being out of order. <laughs> um, as creationists, we have to have faith that man has been on earth since the beginning because there's no evidence for fossil man from before the flood. We have to believe, because the Bible says so, that man has been on earth since the beginning, there is no fossil record of man before the very highest ages. Okay, we have to quit because we have to start the next one. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.